0: Now, for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10, Behind the Shield 10, for a one time purchase. Now, to learn more about Thorne, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Totoro and Wes Barnett. This episode is sponsored by a company I've used for well over a decade, and that is 511. I wore their uniforms back in Anaheim, California, and have used their products ever since. From their incredibly strong yet light footwear to their cut uniforms for both male and female responders, I found them hands down the best workwear in all the departments that I've worked for. Outside of the fire service, I use their luggage for everything and I travel a lot. And they are also now sponsoring the 7X team as we embark around the world on the Human Performance Project. We have Murph coming up in May and again I bought their plate carrier. I ended up buying real ballistic plates rather than the fake weight plates and that has been my ride or die through Murph the last few years as well. But one area I want to talk about that I haven't in previous sponsorship spots is their brick and mortar element. They were predominantly an online company up till more recently but now they are approaching 100 stores all over the U.S., my local store is here in Gainesville, Florida, and I've been multiple times. And the discounts you see online are applied also in the stores. So as I mentioned, 5.11 is offering you 15% off every purchase that you make. But I do want to say, more often than not, they have an even deeper discount, especially around holiday times. But if you use the code SHIELD15, that's S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you will get 15% off your order or in the stores every time you make a purchase. And if you want to hear more about 5.11, who they stand for and who works with them, listen to episode 580 of Behind the Shield podcast with 5.11 regional director, Will Ayers. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show CrossFit coach, author, and podcaster, Ben Bergeron. So, we discuss a host of topics from athletics in his early life, coaching the youth athlete, wellness during the pandemic, his interesting view on mental and physical toughness, the evolution of CrossFit, and so much more. Now, before I get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single 5-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 700 episodes now, so all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Ben Bergeron. Enjoy. Well, Ben, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the Behind the Shield podcast today.
1: Well, thanks for having me, James. Excited to be here.
0: So we met at Sanlot J- Jackson. I want to get into that, but we also have a mutual friend now in Christine Bold. So <laughs> through your um, perspective, talk to me about how you guys first met.
1: Um, she came up here to uh, be a coach at our gym. So we hired her as a coach. Um, she was coaching down in DC, and then um, she coached at our gym across from New England for a while, and then the relationship grew to where she's uh, she's co-authored two um two of my books.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Well, she's on the show already, so uh, we'll kind of circle around to your timeline. So, where on planet Earth are we finding you today?
1: I'm in Natick, Massachusetts.
0: Brilliant. So, I would love to start at the very beginning of your chronological life. So, tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings.
1: Yep. I'm uh, one of three boys. I'm the oldest of the three. Uh, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, my dad kind of worked his way up through sales in technology to where he was um um got to the point where he was running a couple of technology companies. Um and then my mom was part-time real estate agent, part-time stay-at-home mom.
0: Brilliant. Now what about the exposure to the nutrition and strength and conditioning world? Did you have any of those when you were younger?
1: No, I I like how most people I played sports as a kid. Um so I played football, basketball, skiing was my my biggest and most competitive sport. Uh, But nothing more than just regular, I go to the gym, um, and growing up, I ate normal um, nutrition stuff. It wasn't until after college where athletics, formal athletics was done, that I started doing triathlons, and that's when I started to get a little bit more serious about my own training and my own nutrition. Um, I wanted a competitive outlet. I always liked going to the gym, but I also felt like I needed a goal, so I started Doing that started with sprint triathlons and worked up to doing a couple Ironman triathlons. And that's where nutrition, obviously, you have to pay attention to what you're eating. Um But it wasn't really until um, the next evolution when I became a personal trainer and really the next level of the evolution when I found CrossFit that um, it became a, a true, real passion and thing that I wanted to, like, you know, essentially commit most of my waking hours to trying to figure out. <laughs>
0: So I want to get your perspective. I ask a lot of people that were either high-level athletes in the school and collegiate space and/or became coaches. From an English perspective, when I first moved to this country, I was struck by how many Uncle Rico stories I heard. These these gentlemen that were or women that were now deconditioned, but could have been if it wasn't for this meniscus, you know, the the ACL tear or the shoulder or whatever it was. And as I start Yeah, living in this country, I see the extremely high level of performance at the school and college level, but that almost being at the expense of longevity and wellness. What has been your your kind of perspective of the way we uh the, the kind of philosophy towards our younger athletes, performance versus wellness?
1: So I think that they can be one and the same, but they could also be um, inversely related. And that's not a cop-out answer. It's a, it's a matter of the approach at which we take. So um, wellness, fitness, and performance are all intertwined. And we can think of this on a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have sickness. And sickness would be decrepitude, um, inability to complete tasks, and or true disease or illness. In the middle, you have competency. You have wellness. You have, I'm not sick, but I'm not thriving. On the far end of the spectrum, you have fitness, you have performance, you have elite um, capacities. So if we were to think about this in terms of uh, a, a medical perspective, you could map any biometric you would get from the doctor on this continuum. If you took your resting heart rate and you have a resting heart rate of 95, you're on the sick side. And the doctor's gonna have a conversation with you. They're gonna wanna make interventions and they're gonna wanna figure out what is the lifestyle that's caused you to be there. If you get your resting heart rate taken and it's in the middle, 65, there's no conversation. If you get your resting heart rate taken and you're at the elite level of performance, you'll be 35. And the doctor's going to ask questions. What do you do? Are you an athlete? Um, have you, you have an endurance background? There's a conversation. So what we find is in the middle, what most people define as the objective that we should be getting, wellness, there's no conversation. On the outside edges of the bell-shaped curve, there's a conversation. Well, it's not only for your biometrics, things that you would get done at the doctor, your cholesterol, any sort of lipid panel, body fats, um... Your uh, uh, any any your weights, your BMI, anything could go on this. You know, even your white blood cell count. But we could also map this as well for your performance. If you can't run a mile in fifteen minutes, and walking is twenty minute mile, if you can't literally just just jog for fifteen minutes, well, you're not going to live a well life. You're sick if you can do a mile in 10 minutes, no one's having a conversation with you. But if you could do a mile in five minutes, there's a conversation. What are you doing? Like you're, you're, You're trained, you're an athlete. And what we find is that fitness is a hedge against sickness. So the more we drive towards performance, these things turn together. You don't have somebody that's 12% 12% body fat, runs a five and a half mile, deadlifts twice their body weight, can do 30 unbroken pull-ups, but um, is going to die of heart disease. It's just, that's not what happens because they're 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 fit. All these things tend to ride together. So what we can do is use performance as a measurement of health, of a measure of potential longevity. Now, there's other things. There's toxicity or acute accidents that could take people out, and that's obviously a little bit outside of our control. But in terms of the health aspect that we have control over from our behavioral perspective, what we do in the gym all the time allows us to do that if if we're doing this on a balanced approach. And the thing that gets us in trouble is that people get caught up in elite performance in one area because you are only as fit as you are weak in any one area, meaning you become an elite endurance runner where you can now run a marathon in under two hours and 20 minutes. Well, that's an amazing, amazing thing, but the chances of you also being able to deadlift twice your body weight, jump onto a 36-inch box are very, very unlikely. So in terms of the spectrum of your overall fitness, You have an elite capacity in one area, but not across the breadth of what we're looking for. And this is where I say it can be both. If it's across the breadth of your capacities as a human being, it will track, your performance will track with your longevity and health. If, and this is what alludes to your question, if you go a mile deep in one singular pursuit, I want to run a sub-220 marathon, that has a negative effect on your overall health. People that play in the National Football League, football, American football, lose three to five years off their life. Well, that's a singular endeavor that they're trying to be the best in the world at. Think of a power lifter, somebody that can deadlift 1,000 pounds. There's only a handful of people in the world that can do that. Those guys don't have the same health as people that are going for the spectrum of fitness. So it really, it is, they do trend to go in the same line until you lose the 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 balanced approach and go into a singular approach and that's when it has a negative effect
0: so where where do you think of the deficiencies in some of these high schools and coaches uh, excuse me and college coaching areas and how can we educate not only the 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 coaches but also the parents to make sure that their child first even have a self-awareness as if they're living vicariously through their child and secondly you know are they being trained to be a whole well-rounded technically multi-sport athlete or are they specializing so much that little jimmy you know is pitching however many balls every week that their arm's going to fall off by the time they're 18
1: well, the the first part of that is I wouldn't judge someone from for either approach. I don't think either approach is right or wrong because if you want to go and play in the NFL, you have to specialize. And that's an amazing, amazing accomplishment and could lead to an amazing, amazing life. So I'm not here to judge and say that the 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 singular approach is wrong. There's been equally as many studies done for range, you know the 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 wider approach as there is for special specialization. So, I, I wouldn't go and go to any coach and go. Listen, I think that you're doing this wrong. Little Jimmy actually needs more balanced approach. When they go, yeah, but he's trying to go to the you know uh, become a professional in this sport, and this is the path that I believe is going to get him there. I would be doing a disservice. It's the same type of thing like um, a runner from Kenya, and they're going to try to run a sub two twenty marathon. If they don't, they don't get out of the village, and they can. Um, they could they could totally change a generations of lives for being able to do that. That's a worthwhile endeavor for a lot of people. If we were to go if somebody was interested though, if they were interested in the balanced approach, and they realize that they're doing the specialty thing by default, because that actually happens. Then the first place I would go is, Probably not even into the, the physicality, um, but the most important thing I believe that we could work on is the mentality and the mental approach that we bring to athletic pursuits actually has a, a drastic and wide ranging uh, effects on everything outside the walls of the gym or outside of the competition, courts, rink, ice, whatever it might be. And that's where I would go. Is I think that it's our responsibility as coaches to not only work on um, building the body, building the, um, the 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 physical capacities, but the the mindsets as well. And I would I would I deem that as the difference between transactional and transformational coaching. Whereas transactional coaching is, you know, here's how you uh, want to bring the racket back in your forehand it's um here's how to follow through with your fingertips on a free throw it's here's how to snap your wrist in a wrist shot in hockey it's all these like very sport specific things that transact into a better player but when they leave the playing field you nothing nothing's changed in that person a transformational approach not only has those sports specific um, pursuits to make it better, but they're also trying to make someone a a better human being able to withstand pressure better, um, have better relationships with people, deal with stress. um, All the things that come with a normal life and it's, a coach, is, we have such a, a valuable – because we you get to use the, the prism of athletics to help with everything else because athletics just mirrors life. It's just that it's a magnifying glass. In life, a lot of times you can hide because there is no scoreboard. There is no one actually watching your every move, whereas in athletics, those two things are there. People are watching, and there is a scoreboard to say whether you've done this well or not. So I love that – Athletics mirrors life, and the lessons that we learn there don't need to be just about how to score more goals or be better defenders. It can be about um, how to be better competitors, better um, give better effort regardless of the circumstances, be better teammates. Because I think that's twenty years after the people are done playing the sport, that's what's going to be pretty impactful and meaningful in their own lives and what they get to carry forward to the next generations.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you. I get different responses from people. I mean, they're all kind of similar, you know, over intersections in the Venn diagram, but all the different perspectives are are valuable. So thank you. So you mentioned about not getting into training till later, as far as that being your career, what were you dreaming of becoming when you were a school age?
1: Uh, Mostly a ski bump. It's the only thing I saw myself doing. You know, when I was really little, I want to play in the NFL. That changed pretty darn quickly. Uh, when I was really, really little, you know, the normal things—be a firefighter. But as it became like time to actually, what do I actually see myself doing? It was uh, working in a ski town and skiing. You know, a hundred days a year was the thing that I really, I really just wanted to do.
0: So, did that pan out in any way, shape, or form, or did you find yourself more yeah, traditional I spent- route?
1: I spent most of my college um on a ski hill, and then uh two years after college, I did the the ski bum thing living uh in Lake Tahoe and Jackson Hole. so I did it and uh it was cool, but it wasn't it wasn't uh fulfilling enough. It was certainly a lot of joy and a lot of pleasure um but it wasn't uh, I didn't feel like I was really tapping into my own, um, potential and certainly didn't feel like I was contributing enough.
0: How valuable was that experience for you though, to have the space and time between your education and what came next to reflect and also to try some things and realize, okay, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah. I I think it's super. I'm, I am, um, so grateful that I, I spent the time doing that because I think otherwise I would have always had that like, I should go do that. I should go do that. Um, I also spent time in corporate America before I worked uh, in finance before becoming, uh, finding the, the the fitness thing. So I feel like I got both those perspectives. I got like the real ski bum life and I got the real, you know, fortune 500 climb the corporate ladder life. And I realized that the Fitness and entrepreneurial life is the thing that I actually find the most fulfilling. And it's allowed me to go like, no, it's not about the grass is greener over there. It's just the grass can be greener where I water it, stay here, pay attention, um, give this more effort, and it will pan out.
0: Well, I know you went into the world of finance. It sounds to me like 9-11 was a very pivotal moment in your life, like so many people that come on this show. So talk to me about the events of that day and how that shifted your trajectory after.
1: Yeah. So when 9-11 happened, I was working, I had um, I'd already done a year of ski bumming in Tahoe. I came back to Boston, was working um, in finance for State Street Bank um, on the derivatives support desk. So foreign exchange and stuff like that. Uh, When 9-11 happened, I was in the office and uh, there were TVs on the trading floor and you saw the plane hit. It was like, whoa, everyone came in to check it out. And when we watched live as the second plane hit and that's like my world view changed in a second, like literally in a second, my worldview changed. Um, Within um, three days, I decided to quit my job and uh, move out to Wyoming to try to, uh, to be a ski bomb again, but also to figure out what, I, what, it, what did I really want to do with my life. And I spent the, the, the entire winter out there trying to figure out what that was going to be. And I, I, the immediate things were I got to join the military or I got to become a firefighter because that's what those were the heroes in the the day of and the days following um nine eleven. but i wanted to be if i joined the military i didn't want to be a grunt i wanted to be in special forces and if i was in special forces i felt like i would at some point i would need to kill somebody and i didn't want to do that so decided not to go that route and then for the firefighter thing i really wanted to pick where i lived and it seemed like the likelihood of me being able to do that was very low at the time. So many people were applying to become a firefighter. And because of that, you didn't. Re- they kind of put you somewhere. And I didn't want that. So what other way could I have impact and do something I was passionate about? And that's when I turned this passion I had for triathlon and fitness into becoming a personal trainer. So I started a business where I went to people's homes and trained them one-on-one in their basements. And then from there... Um, got kind of lonely. Honestly, there's no coworkers, my own business, a lot of freedom, but I, I was, you know, my young twenties and I wanted to, to work with other people like me. So I joined the gym and did that part-time. So a part-time training at a gym and part-time traveling to people's homes. Uh, then that gym thing spun up into being a strength and conditioning coach for some sports teams um, at, a, at a local prep school. That's when I found CrossFit, started doing it with my clients, started with my athletes I was training, started doing it myself. That passion from triathlons shifted into the sport of CrossFit. And um, within uh, about a year or two um, from finding the sport, I had my own affiliate. And um, fast forward 15 years later, and here we are.
0: Amazing. Well, walk me through the kind of certifications that you got, because I think there was a lot of... A lot of still the residual kind of bodybuilding style training back, you know, early coaching pre-CrossFit. Um, and then I'd love to hear your kind of origin story, how you found it and, and what your experience was from the way that we were coaching to what you were seeing in that space.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I was eager to learn. So I was, um, when I find something, I, I, I'm, I get very invested in things that I'm passionate about. My, my nightmare is to like wake up and, have to spend days doing things that you're just not, you find unfulfilling, unmeaningful without much purpose. So when I find something that I I am into, I love it. So when I found fitness, I just wanted like more and more and more. So the only way I knew how to do that was to go and um, read journals um, and get certifications. So I started doing that and I did ISSA, NSCM, um, NASM, CSCS. I, I was trying to do everything I could. And I didn't know why I was doing that until I realized like, I, th- I kept on looking for the, th- the thing that made sense and none of it made sense. Honestly, it's just like, it was all about, you know, muscle spindles and goalie attendants and the Krebs cycle. And it's like, well, none of it, ma- like, w- what about make- making people better? And like, none of it was there. It was, you know, um, You know, all about cross filament fibers and it was just like, it was, and when I found CrossFit, um, it was the exact opposite. It was, here's how I, to identify the faults in someone's movement pattern in a squat and here's how to fix it. That's the first time anybody in any of the certifications talked about how to make someone's squat better. It's kind of like, well, what have I been doing for the last four or five years trying to accumulate all this knowledge if I don't even know how to teach a squat? Similar to that, we're all trying to get people, I'm a certified fitness trainer. Yet none of these organizations had identified or defined what fitness was. And until CrossFit came along and said, well, Fitness is work capacity across broad time and modal domains. Did that start to resonate and make sense and go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So how do we, how do we improve that? Well, we do functional movements at relatively high intensity and we continually vary it. So you're, you're getting exposures to as much things because we fail at the margins of our experience. It's like, oh, dang, that sort of makes sense. And if we're looking for these adaptations, well, what are those adaptations? Well, they're cardiovascular endurance, strength, stamina, flexibility, speed, power, accuracy, agility, balance, and coordination. Okay, that seems like a pretty darn good list. And we want to improve our fitness across short, middle, and long time domains. Not only that, but from low power to high power endeavors. So what that means is a three-second, max effort deadlift. Okay. That's really high on the power scale. We're using a lot of ATP across the other energy pathways of the middle 800 meter sprint to the super long marathon row or even longer. And we want to make sure we're increasing all of the area underneath that curve, which is defined as our fitness. You are as fit as the area underneath that curve. It's like, whoa, okay. This thing makes a lot of sense. And it's not just what it looks like when you see people do it on YouTube or on the CrossFit Games, this just crazy concoction of now climb ropes as fast as you can and whip a barbell around and go run and jump over boxes. All of those things that, they, that are being done are being done in a systematical, measurable, observable, repeatable fashion, which by the way is science, measurable, observable, repeatable. And now all of a sudden what we're doing is we're creating data points along the way and we are mapping our fitness. Not just going to the gym one day and doing three sets of 10 bench press or jumping on elliptical and going for 45 minutes. It all has measurable, literally end points for each one, observable. We can see it and measure it. And now what we do is we do that over time and we can figure out how fit you are because fitness is directly correlated to the amount of power you can produce in a workout. Like, okay, what is power? Power is force times distance divided by time. How much weight did you lift, the, the weight, how much distance did it travel, literally from point A to point B, times that by the number of reps you did and how long it take you to do it. And now all of a sudden you see why kipping pull-ups are actually more advantageous than strict pull-ups for developing fitness. Not strength, for fitness. Strength is something different. Strength is a singular component of the fitness compo- uh, um, picture. Because you can do more reps faster lifting the same amount of weight, it's the same thing as like well people you know when people kind of argue against kipping pull ups it's like well how come you don't run with your hands in your pockets straight down when you run you use your arms like because I can go faster it's like so you're saying that using your arms can help your legs go faster and you believe going faster is a better Way to improve your fitness. Yep, I agree. Well, it's the same thing with pull ups. If you use your hips when you do a pull up, you can then do more reps faster. And if you do more reps faster, you're getting fitter. So that's the long kind of rant for. I found this thing that made total sense. And it wasn't just like, um, that looks really cool. It did. It wasn't just like, whoa, it's a really cool community. It is. It wasn't just like, ooh, this affiliate model is a really cool business model where I can run my business how I want to. Not a franchise. It is. But the number one thing was it produced results in a meaningful, impactful way that was backed up by science.
0: So I had a unique... Um, kind of road as well. I got into it. I think it was 06, but I did the traditional kind of quote unquote bodybuilding style. I wasn't bodybuilding, but just those movements. Yep. I did, uh, sports science in University of North London. And it was the same thing. Like I've got these little tiny myopic pieces of science, but you're not giving me the, the ABCs of how to be a good coach and how to move, understand my own movement. I was in a you know, martial artist and trying to, you know, again, not get hurt and be, be better. Um, and then a friend of mine, who's a firefighter, who was a member of CrossFit Marina in Huntington Beach, so I think, it was one of the early ones. Came back one day with these cannonballs with handles on, and a couple uh-huh. other things, and, and put us through. I think it was Helen, if I got that right. Yeah. And it just, I was amazed. And what I saw in myself is the you know two years into it on the fireground as a firefighter, I could see my own performance just accelerate incredibly so did you have a kind of first workout story and and coming from the at that point high triathlete um background that you had what was your experience of the changes within your own body
1: yeah so when i was doing triathlons i i wanted to do triathlons because i wanted to try to find <clears throat> excuse me um a super high level of fitness um And I wasn't at a world-class level, but I liked the idea of like three different things in one. I thought that was challenging and well-rounded. It certainly was challenging, but it wasn't (laughs) well-rounded. It's just how long can you go in three things. And when I found CrossFit, my first workout was Cindy, which I thought I would do pretty well in because along with my um, swim, bike, run stuff, I did a fair amount of just – Kind of like body weight strength stuff. I would do pull ups and push ups and squats, and I would get do some of the, like like you. I would do some of the bodybuilding stuff. And when I did Cindy, Cindy is um, five pull ups, ten push ups, fifteen air squats, as many times as you can in twenty minutes. And I felt like I was moving, like I was moving really well. And um, I got. Um, 18 rounds which i was like i just did a, that's a i did 180 push-ups like you know i did um 19 uh 90 pull-ups like I, I this is i'm 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 pretty solid like i feel pretty good and then i looked at the leaderboard back in the day there was the crossfit forum um and i looked at the leaderboard and i saw this guy chris spieler and he did 33 rounds and i was like what the, what the I didn't even realize that, that was like there was that level at all, and that was the really eye-opening experience for me. Which was like, I feel pretty fit. I'm doing you know, um, Ironman triathlons. I feel like you know I can do 90 pull-ups, but I, this guy almost doubled my score, and it was an incredibly humbling experience, but also incredibly motivating because I saw how much room there was for me to grow.
0: I was the same time that I was on there because I used to love looking and there'd be a guy that was roughly six foot, you know, 165, 170, but he'd be in Sweden. And I was like, oh, mm. me and Sven today, you know, we were neck and oh. neck or whatever. So with that lens, cause you got in so early. What has been your, um, your lens on the undulation? of the coaching and or the athletes and the reason I asked that I came in completely naive white belt with an athletic background but maybe some of the being taught a lot of the wrong things that I had to unlearn Um, I'm in a YMCA for a lot of it doing these movements with no coaches no you know no input whatsoever so I'm reinforcing some of the bad habits as well but it was pure though you had the videos you had the programming and then through my eyes as the games grew in popularity, and I found myself in a CrossFit gym, which I loved, and then ultimately became a coach, I saw our inexperience of as coaches and some of the egos in the members. And I don't mean that in a negative way. That the moment they walk through the door, they want to be able to do kipping pull ups on one day. On day one, excuse me. That that was through my eyes when we saw a lot of the crossfit fail videos and injuries and then the back end of that what i've seen now is these coaches have evolved and actually started to really understand the movements the accessory work the mobility side and then also become better and i talked to christine about this about how to interact with these members and and get them to to start where they really should so that's kind of my evolution of that undulation what have you seen over this 15 years from main site going against chris Spiele to where you are today
1: yeah it's 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 evolved like any sport we found it at you know when i started it was at its infancy and at it's infancy take any sport take mma you know bmx biking um surfing any one of these sports in the beginning it's it's not what it is <laughs> it, it needs to literally evolve and that takes time our sports evolved incredibly quickly you know two decades into the the training practice and 15 years into the actual competitive sport it it, it looks feels and the performance of the athletes is so different you know in the early on in, in the early days of the crossfit games the claim was fittest on earth it was more like the fittest of the people you know <laughs> you know, it's like the it was like the fittest people that came to the barbecue
0: that new dave you know, castro
1: and, the, and it was a really fit crew but the claim of fitness on earth might've been a little presumptuous at that time. Uh, it is not now. I mean, it is, it has not been that for the last 10 years. It is, the sport has evolved so quickly and the capacity of the athletes are so incredible now. Um, so the, the, the sport and the athletes, it's incredible. Uh, it's incredible. Um, You know, making to the games was attainable for a lot of people that really wanted to work hard back in the day. That seemed to be enough if you're disciplined and you work hard. Now that is the price of admission to make it to quarterfinals. Like if you're not willing to dedicate your life to this thing, you have no shot. And you, I mean, it's like six to eight hours in the gym, five days a week. And those other two days are spent on working on recovery and your weaknesses it's like a 24-7 approach. Um, it's one of the most difficult sports to to become a pro at because most pro leagues, um, if you're a professional golfer, it's hundreds of people that make the tour. You know, it's hundreds. If you're on a professional football team, American football, there's 53 people on each roster and there's 32 teams. That's hundreds of people. Well, there's only 40 guys and 40 girls that make this thing each year. To really be a pro, you have to make it about two or three years before you actually have like sponsorship dollars coming in. So it's a really, it's a, it's one of the hardest um, sports to be a professional at, for sure. It's on very close to like the MMA. It would be the same type of thing. There's only a couple people that do it at a really high level, and a lot, a lot, a lot of people are trying to crack into it. Um, in terms of the coaching aspect, it's been the same evolution. So in the beginning, it was, well, if you have some semblance of what uh, an Olympic lift looks like, you you are about as good as any coach out there. And now, for sure, it's a lot more nuanced in terms of, um, you know, movement patterns, identifying, limiting um, any sort of limitations, how to uh, improve things. And to your point, um, you know, the mobility work and accessory work to get there, it's not just, you know... um, It's not just work more, work harder. It's definitely work smarter. And a lot of the coaches have um, improved improved that aspect of the the game as well, thankfully. I mean, it's like you'd hope that after 20 years that we've gotten better. So I, I think we have.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen it. Like I said, and, and I think even even the kind of shiny object element of the games, like you said, there was that transitional point where people could still, if they were relatively fit, start on that road towards it, which I think sucked people in. Now, I think they're seeing such elite, you know, athleticism and and lifts that now I think that's almost part of the humbling when people are going, okay, I can't just come off the street and go straight to an NFL gridiron. You know, there is this this work, that's in-between. So, so, you've got two, and I don't know if I'm oversimplifying, but through my eyes, you've got two types of people that are going to walk into a CrossFit gym. The people that truly are wanting to do it as a sport and, you know, get to however high they can on that ladder. And then you have the other, I would argue, maybe not so much in your gym, but most gyms, you know, other 95% who are just trying to get better at the things they do in everyday life. How do you... At the front door, kind of uh, separates the wrong word, but kind of prior work with them as far as their priorities to make sure that they're on the right track for their own personal why
1: so the first the first thing I would do is um, i I believe that there's more like four character types, not the the two and understanding where the person is of these character types helps you coach them to to their ends. So the first one is what you said is, I'm here, I want to get better at the sport of CrossFit. I want to try to become better at the open. I want to get better at the, I want to see if I can um, crack into the games. That's certainly one. Below that, I don't think it just goes, well, if you're not that, you're everybody else. I think below that, there's probably um, two or three more character types. And the one below that is, um, I identify as a hard charger. I identify as somebody that wants to train and be really, really fit. I may not have interest in competing in the sport of CrossFit, but I identify as somebody that I'm the fittest among my friend group. You know, when I go back to my reunions, they all go like, oh, my gosh, have you seen um, Have you seen James recently? The dude's a beast. You know, I heard he can do 30 pull-ups. Like that type of – there's that group of people, people that want to train beyond the class. Then beyond that, there's the kind of the um, – what I would call like the mass population of who goes to a CrossFit gym. And that's the people that are trying to lose weights. They're trying to look good on the beach. They're trying to void off decrepitude in the nursing home. They want longevity. They want to feel better. They want some level of performance when they, you know, um go skiing on the weekends or play tennis or whatever it might be. Then there's the next group and the final group, which is I'm just trying to create a routine. Like I, this is really hard for me to get to the gym more than two days a week. I, I getting to it once is hard. Getting it twice is almost impossible. And I've only been to the gym three times a week, maybe a handful of times in my life. So each one of those people needs a different approach, right? The CrossFit Games athletes needs programming for five hours a day. They need to work on all of the little what we call third-wave adaptations, and things are very specific to the sport. So they need to know how to like do bump cleans instead of just normal hang power cleans. They need to know how to, um, how to rotate um, over a box jump over really efficiently where somebody else just needs to know how to jump up onto a box and get back down. The people that are looking for, you know, the be the fittest in my friend group, but I don't care about the sport, those hard chargers, need um, – that it's not just about the class. It's not just about that one workout of the day. They want some little extra strength. They want a little extra cardio. They want to make sure that you know when they jump in the five k with their friends that they're going to be the fastest of their friends. If they're um, you know whatever they do, they want to be like ultimately prepared. You need that level of program for them. The other group is actually what the affiliate set up for. That's what this. Uh, that's what the gym is set up for. Is the people that want to lose weight, maybe get a little bit stronger, be better. It's like that's general physical preparedness. And that's the gym set for them. But the other group that needs more help as well is the people that are struggling to get there and make this a part of their daily routine. And that is not a programming play. That's a a customer onboarding process. That's a thing where you have to hold their hand. It's essentially like a kid that's really, really, really scared of going to school. Well, it's not about like what books they're reading. It's not about when math class is. It's about you have to hold that kid's hand through the process and make them feel not scared. So each one of those people have a different approach. um, And that's what the gym should be able to identify and know where they are so that they know how to meet them where their customer is.
0: So I heard you talking to Chris Williamson on Modern Wisdom podcast. Um, and again, it was that transactional versus uh, transitional, no, sorry, transformational element. And I would love to kind of get you to repeat that that concept. When I was doing CrossFit, it was incredible. And I was in this YMCA and people were looking at me like, why is that guy murdering himself and making those weird noises with his headphones on? Um, I'm just trying to do my pec deck in peace. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> And then I end up joining a CrossFit gym and then I go ah, this is a massive piece of the puzzle I've been missing, the community element. So talk to me about transactional versus transformational in the community that is the local gym or even the local, you know, whatever, the local group, especially after two years when everyone was segregated and divided so much.
1: Yeah. So you're, you know, the saying is, um, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You know the other saying is, um, "Show me who you hang out with, and I'll show you who you're going to be in five years." The science that backs that up is, you are 171 percent more likely to be fat if your friends are fat than if your family is fat. What that points to is it's not genetics. It's, what are your friends doing? This is why a CrossFit gym is so powerful, because people surround themselves with other people with the same value sets. Where working out like this is not weird, it's the norm. For the rest of the world, for literally 98.88%, I'm making that number up, so I don't know why I said literally, percent in the world, they look at what we do and go, that's weird. But I just earlier in the conversation explained why the science backs this up. It is the best form of longevity prevention from a physical standpoint. There's other things, sleep and nutrition, stress and other things. But from a physical training perspective, there's nothing better. Well, if there's nothing better, wouldn't you want to be in a group that thinks it's normal? Because if every time you go and do it, people point at you and go like, that's weird. Our human biology is set to conform to to the herd. We need to be able to be accepted by the herd, by the tribe. Otherwise, we get kicked out of the tribe. It's like it's meaning every single time we go to this, there's a level of stress. Well, that's not beneficial. We should try to make, we should try to create the environment around us most conducive for the benefit of our health. And the way to do that, the easiest way to do that, two super simple ways is don't bring crappy food into your house and go to a CrossFit gym. Like you're seriously, you do those two things. Don't buy crappy food at the supermarket. If you don't, it doesn't make it into the house. If It's not in the house. You can't eat it. Now, if you need to drop, you need it so badly that you're going to drive seven minutes to get um, some Ben and Jerry's good. Go drive seven minutes to go bed. But you're not going to have that weird little thing like, oh, should I? Ha-? And you, if it's in the house, it's going to be eaten. That's why it's in the house. And similar to that is training this way is hard. But if you're in a gym, it's not because the rising tide lifts all ships. When the workout starts, everyone starts, you start. It's just it's a much easier thing to go through. I think it's um, the community aspect. Everyone talks about in terms like it's supportive. It's um, it's non. people don't judge you. It's super positive. People don't complain. All of those things are true. The most important thing is they're doing it. They're doing the work. That's what the business is. They're doing the work. And if you're there, you will do the work too. That's the huge part of this. So what we've done is, so CompTrain is my company that what we've done at CompTrain is we've done two things is we are trying, we are com- creating a online community that supports each other because not everyone has the availability to go to a gym. And if you go to a gym, sometimes CompTrain's training above and beyond the normal class. So it's for that hard charger community. It's for the people that want to compete in the sport, yes, but really it's set up for those people that want to do more than the class. It's like me. I don't compete in CrossFit anymore, but I identify as a hard charger. I want to be as fit as any one of my friends. And when I go meet people I haven't seen for 10 years, I want them to go like, dang, have you seen Ben? He can do 30 pull-ups. When we go hiking, you know, carrying my skis on my back, hiking the mountain to get some fresh snow – I want to be the one that's leading the pack and get to the top and fresh and ready to go, not huffing and puffing. I want the physical dominance. So what we've done with CompTrain is we create a platform for people to train really hard. Well, that's hard to do until you have a community around you. So we've done that as well. This is not train really hard and you're on your own island programming, doing your own thing, which a lot of other programs do. This is we are all doing the same workout together on the same day because of that, we have a community, we have a tribe. That is so powerful. If a Spartan warrior, from the time he's born, is selected to be a warrior, some are selected to be cobbles, you know, a cobbler, some are blacksmiths, some are going to be um, priests. There are a select few that are, that are selected to be warriors, From the time they are zero to 14 years old, they go through a horrific, incredible training regimen. There's an incredible book called um, Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. Holy smokes, like it is incredible what these, they are forged through fire, they are uh, amazing. At 14, they go off and they have this goge where they go out into the woods and they have to kill a wild wolf with a spear. At that point, they are now a man, they are now a warrior. But if that 14 year old boy stays out in the woods, he will never fulfill his ultimate potential as a warrior. It is when he returns back to the tribe and he has a shared belief system with the other warriors, a shared set of principles, a shared set of values, And he knows that the soldier to the right and to the left would give up their lives for him, that he then becomes an even more formidable human being. It is through the power of the tribe, it is through the power of the community that we actually reach our highest potential. We, it's not a benefit, it's a need. We need this to become the best version of ourselves. No one will become the best version of themselves on an island. It will not happen. And the stronger your tribe, the stronger you are.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you for that. Um, I want to get your perspective on this very thing. For the last two years you know, we went through this global pandemic and I optimistically was thinking, well, fantastic, we're finally going to have this wellness conversation. We're going to talk about maybe organic farming again. We're going to put local farms back in communities. We're going to talk about, um, you know, community. We're going to look at exercise. We're going to look at the way we feed our children in schools and PE programs. And what I saw from the wellness lens was all the wellness voices were, were almost held as heresy. How dare you say that my 300-pound grandmother died from obesity? It was COVID that killed her. Um, and what happened was we were told not to be, you know, to, to basically destroy community, to close parks and beaches, stay inside. We'll tell you so you lose autonomy as well. But you can deliver fast food and alcohol to your house where you watch Tiger King. So we not only lost you know, we we won't only get to speak alongside the other voices, but they were muted. And that two years was completely lost. And, you know, I argue that the way that we elevate this country, just as you said, it's the environment, it's ownership. And it's very easy for a fitness influencer to say, hey, if you just eat salad and get up at five o'clock and jump in the ice bath, you can have abs like me. No, you may understand whatever has taken you to where you are now, but Steve grew up in poverty and was fed you know the shitty foods his whole life and you know if there was any food at all totally different conversation on the corner of his street there's a mcdonald's and a kfc there's not a whole foods so what was your perspective coming from a wellness background where you've been you know walking the walk for so many years of these last two years and even though it seems like those lessons have kind of been forgotten already what can we do on the wave of this to push the wellness conversation in this country?
1: Well, I like it. You said this country, you're like, you've adopted America. Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: sadly, my British uh, brothers and sisters are getting bigger and bigger every time I go home. Uh, So this is uh, a, this is a global pandemic, but we'll focus on the States.
1: Yeah. um, It's a, it's, it's a really great question, James. And I, I don't have the answer for it. Um, I could give some, beliefs but they're just kind of like they're 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 my opinion um i the first part part is um being you know accepting the reality of which we are in we're you and i are not going to solve it and um that i don't think that should be the goal because if we do we're going to get really frustrated along the way I think that our roles and our goals are to influence or at least share some opinions with people that are raising their hand, going, I'm curious. The people that aren't curious, I'm not, I don't, I just, it's not where I want to put my effort. And if they're, if they are going to put their heads in the sand like an ostrich and just go, like, nope, this is it, and how dare you, and this is, you know, um, that's it, it. To me, it's, a, uh, it's not a worthwhile fight. And I want to fight fights that are worth fighting. So where do I think it starts? It starts with conversations like this. And I honestly believe that the conversations are the biggest thing. From me being on podcasts like this and my own, um, I've had at least a half a dozen people write to me saying, you're not going to believe this, but I actually got permission to run a health class in my school and I have complete ownership of the material and the curriculum. So what I'm going to do is start with the five factors of health that you talk about on your show. That is like, that's what's going to happen. Is to me, we learn through the government, through religion, and through schools. That's where most education comes from. Yes, it's from the parents, but the parents got it from there. That's where we're most strongly influenced. What we can do is help have little conversations so that at some point, someone goes, listen, I now run a school course accredited course that every kid in the class is going to, every kid in the school is going to take about health. And I get to actually talk to them about what real health is. It's not 20 minutes of elliptical three times a week and then eat a whole bunch of uh, cereal. I get to actually have a real conversation, talk to these. That's where I think the, 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 the revolution's going to happen. And by the way, I actually believe it's already happening. It's, you know, revolutions don't happen overnight. Um, we've had, you know, a, a, a whole bunch of them from the, you know, the agricultural revolution. We stopped being hunter and gatherers. And now we're, we've settled down to we, we know how to grow our own crops and um, create livestock. So because of that, we can settle down in one area and because that's cities grew. That's where That's why we got cities. From there, you had the industrial revolution. And all of a sudden, now things can move faster than a horse. Literally information didn't travel faster than a horse and, you know, until the industrial revolution. And now you have the steam engine and all the things that come along with that. Then you have the technological revolution, which is just, and by the way, these things speed up. Like it took hundreds of thousands of years for the first one. And it took thousands of years for the second one. And now they're having it. And then a hundred years, the next one. And now they're happening at, at like every decade technological revolution. now it's a medical revolution, the transportation revolution. and here comes the health revolution. It's where it's it CrossFit has a huge part of that before CrossFit came along, there was it's kind of weird to think about this, but you know the health revolution there like gyms, health clubs did not exist in the 70s. There was no such thing. There was little places that weird people could go to work out but there was no health clubs. Well, through the seventies, eighties and nineties, those things exploded early 2000s CrossFit comes along and revolutionizes. and goes, actually, this is how you get fit. And now we're seeing the shift from the sea of machines. And then just all the, um, you know, like sit down and do the pec deck, like you talked about earlier to actually, like we have rubber floors and rigs and space to actually move like a human being it's happening there. And then we have to have the conversation about food. Like it wasn't necessary a thousand years ago because a thousand years ago, there was no processed and certainly no ultra processed foods, but now there is. So now we have to have this kind of resurgence of what nutrition actually is. And then similar to that, you know, a couple thousand years ago, there wasn't any manufactured stress. There was only real stress. (laughs) Real stress being like... um, I need to make sure I have shelter to weather wh- the storm. I need to make sure I have food so I can survive the winter. I need to make sure I have clothing so I'm protected. I need to make sure that my kids are safe and that that's real stress. But now we have social media and traffic and um, jobs and all sorts of other, you know, the news. Um, it's all this manufactured stuff. So now that you have these new things, the luxuries of, uh, say, so the, the complications of luxury. Now we have to have this kind of resurgence back to the way that humanity was intended to live, which is going to take some effort. It's just, you know, it's that old saying that, you know, hard times create hard men, hard men create soft times, soft times create soft men. You know Um, it's just one of those, it's, it's a cyclical thing and it's going to take some time. And um, us having these little conversations, can have the little one-offs where we influence one person, that one person influences their family in a certain way. But then every now and then, it's not just that one person influencing their own lives or maybe their family, that person gets the opportunity to change legislation, change a community, change a school. And that's where this thing happens. And it will take a, a full generation for it to have real meaningful impact, but it's happening
0: yeah well i i agree i think we're at the beginning of a paradigm shift and i'm i guess described as an angry optimist (laughs) i'm (laughs) optimistic but kind of you know pissed (laughs) off at the same time um but i i agree i think that what this did on the positive thing this is the side effect of some of the horrendous choices that were made because you talked about science well science is behind nutrition and movement and you know crossfit and you know if you really want to break it down in neuroscience then you know Community and all these other things too, from a neuroscience perspective, that is science. That is what makes people better. So I think now a lot of these people realize, oh, you know, these people stood on their little, uh, you know, their pedestals and said this stuff and it actually ended up being wrong. So maybe these people over here were right. You know, maybe we should have kept the parks and beaches open. Maybe we should have been outside, walking with our family and our dog etc etc so i i'm i'm very optimistic as well and i think it's now there's a time for the wellness community to bite down on their mouth guard and really you know push forward um i want to shift from wellness to performance for a moment when you talk about hard charges that's the group i would like to think that a lot of our tactical athletes are in we're not looking to compete at a high level but lives are at stake so that's where we attain to i would argue that the first responder community could occupy any of those lower three tiers. It may need an on-ramp from someone that's deconditioned to get back to that discipline, that routine, but hopefully forge towards that hard charger. One of the biggest barriers, I think, when you get to that area is the mindset, the pain, the discomfort, the suffering that it is to be at that level when you've got to climb, you know, 50 floors with 100 pounds of gear on you. That does kind of mirror some of these elite performances that you're seeing in the CrossFit Games as well. So you coached Matt, you coached Catherine. Um When it comes to the mindset piece, you know, what? how did you coach those top tier athletes to attain the level that they did when you know there were other people maybe doing the same things in the gym that weren't able to get to that that elite elite performance when the cameras were on them
1: yeah so um mindset is certainly a hot topic and i think a lot of people have their take on it and um you know mental toughness is such like a buzz thing and you know whether it's david goggins or um you know like you said like the the ice bath community uh it's it's certainly a sexy thing to talk about but usually it's about uh pain tolerance it's more it's being confused with toughness mental toughness and toughness are two different things. Toughness is the ability to withstand physical discomfort, which is when you're doing a workout and you're working hard. Your your heart is going to try to rip through your chest because it's beating so hard. You're going to have battery acid pumping through your veins. And your legs are going to be like be wanting to seize up. You're going to lay on the ground afterwards, heaving in a puddle of your own bodily fluids. Like that's that takes that takes physical toughness. Mental toughness is something different, and we need to understand that. Because what happens is people see an athlete crawling to the finish line, and they're like, "Look at them! Phys- look at look at how mentally tough they are." That's that's physical. They see somebody get injured and then come back in the game like, you know, Patrick Mahomes spraining his ankle in a championship football game and then coming back in like, look at the mental toughness. That's, it's so, we're confusing ourselves. Mental toughness is the ability to stay focused when distraction is tugging at you. That's what mental toughness is. Now, that distracted tug can come in so many different ways. It could come as we're having this conversation now, and all of a sudden, um, you know, somebody throws a paperclip at you and you get distracted, right? That's distracting. Well, can you not get distracted, not get triggered by that, but stay focused on the task? That's something that comes in. You see that happen, it comes in through your five senses. Or maybe we're, um, performing. We're going to perform in a a athletic contest and it's a hundred degrees outside and you feel the heat. That's, yes, you feel it. It's physical, but it's mentally distracting because you start telling yourself stories about it and you make it worse all of the mental stuff is going to come in through your five senses. You're gonna hear something, you're gonna feel something, you're gonna see something. You could taste or smell it, usually that's not as big of a thing. But something's gonna happen to distract you. If you don't get distracted when those things happen, you are mentally tough, that's what happens. Now, when people do get distracted, let's talk about what that's actually happening. Something happens that triggers something. There's a trigger. It comes in through five senses and triggers you. You then form a conscious or subconscious thought. That thought then creates a feeling, an emotion. That emotion creates a physical chemical reaction in the body. There's a hormonal response, which then further induces this thinking-feeling loop that you get into. So let's actually put that into... um a actual real life scenario you're going to the gym and what's james what's your favorite movements in crossfit rope climbs rope climbs okay great so you're what's your second favorite movement dubs okay so you're going to go into you're you're going to the crossfit um gym to do your workout you know that the workout is um Three rope climbs and 60 double unders, five rounds for time. You're like, freaking, I'm going to crush this. I'm going to be top of the leaderboard. Like, I'm so excited for this. Like, everyone's going to know how fit I am. I'm like, And you're ready to go and give it your all. All of a sudden, you get to the gym. You start warming up. And the coach goes, hey, guys, change of plans. James, what's your least favorite moving across? Thrusters, 100%. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he goes, we're actually going to do um, um, Cal which is 100 thrusters for time, at 135 pounds. There's another movement in there as well, but that's what we're gonna do: 100 thrusters at 135 pounds for time. Boom! That was a, that was a thing that came in through your five senses. You heard something that triggers something inside of you. It triggers a thought, conscious or subconscious. It's gonna most likely be something along the lines of like, oh, crap, oh damn, like, oh my, wait, and it's. You maybe even play like the victim type thing, like why, is it, why, what the hell? Like, why are they doing this in my class? Like, the other has got to do that work. How come I we have to? Do- you're being so distracted. The reality of the situation is that you're going to do this. Now, if you're not distracted, what do you do? You go do the work. Now, if you're mentally tough, you are able to go do the work with the best of your ability. But what happens is we don't do that. We play a victim or a pessimist. Even an optimist is not good. That's okay. This is a chance for me to work on my thrusters and work on some weaknesses. All that's happening is if you're a victim, a pessimist, or an optimist is you're telling yourself a story. Another word for telling stories is creating drama. This is where melodrama comes into play. You're manufacturing stress and anxiety. It's not real. It's not there. I said before, like the person that like way back when, when you had to worry about shelter, food, protecting your children, that's real. You having to do thrusters instead of rope climbs is not a real dramatic event. It is just an event. The the meaning we are assigning to it is causing extra drama in our lives. This is a mentally weak athlete. So how do we work through this? It's as simple as recognizing it's happening. That's it. Once you recognize that this is happening and you're telling yourself this story, that is mile 25 of the marathon. You're almost there. We just have to become aware of all the manufactured stress we create in our lives. It's not a real thing. Yes, you wanted to do this. Guess what? The world and the universe doesn't really give a crap about what you want. I want to have a yacht and I want to be able to ski in waist deep powder every single day. Okay, that's not going to happen tomorrow. Because it's not lining up with my wishes and my wants doesn't mean I got to get all my panties in a bunch. It means that I got to go do the work. I have to go do the work. Now, if you can go and do the thrusters without creating extra drama, you didn't get distracted and you're tough. That's what mental toughness is.
0: So from the physical side, because I mean, that's gold right there, but from the physical side as well, um, I have observed within myself that if I can go to the red zone like once a week, as a responder, I feel like I'm maintaining that level of suffering that I've had on the, in the gym. Therefore, creating as much breadth in my f- strength and conditioning capacity on the drill ground. What I fear in the first responder profession is, as the bar comes down, as the box checking box checking increases, we take away the reality and the intensity and and basically the the nastiness of some of this training we're setting our responders up for failure when it really counts the lives are at stake. So talk to me about the, the training effect of the physical toughness, if any, and how that would kind of uh, parallel over to a responder or a member of the military.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, we fail at the margins of our existence. So if you as a um, as a firefighter have to go and you've never put yourself through really hard training sessions, and when you have to go and get to the fifth story of a building on air and it's super hot and your heart rate's at 210, your likelihood of success can go down drastically. You have to train for those events. Physiologically, what's happening there is if you're training at your threshold, and we call it lactic threshold, anaerobic threshold, aerobic thre- it doesn't really matter if you're training at a point where it's like it's getting really hard. What's happening is your body's becoming more adapted. It's literally, it's not just like, oh, I've been here before. I feel more confident being here. Literally, physiologically, those adaptations are taking place. You're getting better at removing waste product from your body. You're getting better at delivering oxygen to working muscles. You're getting better at your heart contracting and pushing the blood through. You're getting better at your range of motion and your power and your speed. Those adaptations are literally happening. We are adaptation machines. We need to have that exposure. If you've only trained at low intensities and then your athletic event or your competition or your quote emergency, your game day is at high intensity, we're not not preparing ourselves. That's like saying like, I'm going to work on my addition and subtraction, but the test is going to be trigonometry. Like you haven't practiced it. You need to practice the way you compete. And competition for you and your community is the way you have to perform on you know, the most extreme game day You know when the shit actually goes down. But here's the other beautiful and amazing aspect of training hard. Hard training is the accelerator for mental development. We could work on mental toughness by... This, having conversations, listening to podcasts. We could do mindfulness or meditation. We could do journaling. We could do stillness or silence. We could do prayer. We could stare at a candle. We could do breath work. We could go sit in nature for hours at a time. None of those, none of those will be as effective, as efficient as go and do hard physical training. Nobody that's done hard physical training doesn't understand, actually, how do I say it the, the positive way, Everyone that's done hard physical training understands the dichotomy of the, 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 the two you's that live inside of you. Thrusters, when you're staring over the bar in the round of 15 of thrusters, everyone knows the two you's. There's the higher you and the lower you. The lower you wants immediate pleasure right now, the higher you wants you to act in terms of your long-term goals. Your long-term goals is to crush Fran and finish this thing under three minutes. Your lower you wants you to take a break right now. This hurts. It doesn't want you to pick up the bar. The higher you wants you to pick up the bar right now, the lower you wants you to not pick up the bar right now. That two things at odds and understanding that little play between the two is so powerful. And what you can recognize if you've done hard training is this one saying that I've come to love so much. I don't negotiate with my mind. Your mind is a survival machine. It's always going to want to take the safer, easier route. Well, safe and easy don't lead to adaptation, evolution, or greatness. You will not get there with safe and easy. You need hardship. You need challenge. The butterfly needs to struggle as a caterpillar in the cocoon to create enough strength to fly away when it lands. If someone cuts the cocoon and doesn't allow it to struggle, makes it easy, it withers and dies. We need the struggle. We need the challenge. When you have those hard physical tasks, we got it. There it is. That's, that's what we're looking for. That's why so many people in this have gone towards like the ultra marathons, have gone towards CrossFit, have gone towards high intensity interval training, have gone towards cold plunges, have gone towards these um, you know, uh, prolonged sauna exposures. It's like, it's hard stuff. And when you do the hard stuff, that little two you's that you battle back and forth become really obvious, you go like, oh, what are you saying? Why are you? Why do you not want to do this? And you start and you do it anyway, that little voice that goes, don't do it, don't do it, don't do this. Like, it starts to quiet, and the longer term, the one that's focused on your long-term goals, you start to listen to that. It becomes a more formidable voice.
0: Brilliant. You just you just kind of sparked a memory in my mind too. There used to be a phrase: uh, "If a tree falls in a forest and no one saw it, did it really fall?" I think today, if you took an ice bath and you didn't film it, did you really take an ice bath? <laughs> <laughs> Cause I see them everywhere now.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly
0: right. <laughs> well, speaking of recovery, I guess I just made my own segue there. The, the polar, you know, the other side of the scale, obviously you've got red line training at a point and then you've got rest and recovery. With that, ownership versus environment a lot of our responders i mean here at the moment sadly we've lost two firefighters to suicide within 3 weeks of each other this month oh wow and more often than not they they're on a 56 hour work week more often than not they're getting mandatory which is another 24 hour overtime so that's an 80 hour work week so talk to me about through a through a athletic sports performance lens the importance of sleep for performance so i can add another layer to the understanding of why our responders are breaking
1: okay so let's uh before we go to sleep let's talk recovery as a whole so um you are at homeostasis right now you are norm you're at a normal right now when you uh, experience a stress whether it's um Uh, A hormesis, like a a healthy stress, like working out, or a cold plunge, we've mentioned cold plunge so many times, or um, it's a bad stress, like um, getting sick, or injured, or um, you're nervous about a performance uh, exam that you have to take, like any sort of stress. Whenever you do that, your physiology, you actually get weaker. It goes down. It goes underneath. But what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And after that training session, after that cold plunge, whatever it might be, you experience an upswing where you come back to normal. That's as long as you create enough space and time between the stressors. This is why it's a lot of people like training twice a day is going to be a road to disaster. You need to only train once a day so you can allow yourself the time to recover a full 24 hours so you get back to the gym the next day and you've recovered back to um, norm. You recovered back to your your homeostasis. But what we're actually looking for is a supercompensation. We're actually getting stronger than you were before, which will happen as long as you give yourself enough time. Now, those stresses can take place in one of three different ways. One could be through the musculature. We all have experienced sore muscles, delayed onset muscle soreness, domes. The next can be through um, cardiovascular which is usually not as long, but you do a really hard assault bike interval. And if you do another one right away, you're gonna be in mush, like you haven't recovered yet. So you gotta recover for sometimes seconds, minutes, sometimes hours, sometimes a day. Like you have to wait to, for it to come recover, but it's cardiovascular. The last one is your central nervous system. And this is um, um, like your overall energy levels. And if you are um, training, this shouldn't be too high, but if you get above 90%, this can be a stress on you because you get nervous above 90%, both aerobically and anaerobically and from a strength perspective. If you're doing a competition, stress goes way up. This is why um, you know, people in our space, in the CrossFit world, they might train, you know, they might do four, five, six workouts a day. They go into a competitive event and they only have two a day. Well, it's so much less. But they're so drained after that. And that's what we've talked about, is you're they're spending an extreme amount of time in the sympathetic nervous system. That's the fight or flight. They're literally 24-7, like on, like it's like they're about to enter a fight. And that's very draining on us. We need time. And it's called, if you spend too much time there, it's called the parasympathetic lash back, where actually it's like it does you have no choice. it, it just rips you back. This is why a lot of people get sick after a competitive event or after like staying up and studying for a week for for finals and then all of a sudden like they're sick afterwards. So the, the requirement is recovery and recovery can take place a whole bunch of different ways. One of which you mentioned, which I believe is probably the most powerful. It's almost like all the others combined don't equal the power of sleep. Sleep is incredibly... Um, predictive of your ability to perform cognitively and physically. There's been so many different correlative and um, um, actually um, like double blind studies. They can't be like, I don't know if they can be blind because you're actually sleeping, but um, two cohorts, they, they sleep deprived one, they don't the other. The best one that I I can think of, and Matt Walker in um, Why We Sleep mentions this, he's kind of the guy pushing all the the sleep stuff. Um, On daylight savings, there's millions and millions, I think it's hundreds of millions of people that experience for one night a year, everyone experiences one hour of less sleep. That next day, heart attacks go up by 24%. In the fall, when we all get an extra hour of sleep, that next day, heart attacks go down by 21%. That's the same thing for driving accidents, and it's the same thing for suicides. One hour of sleep is way more impactful than any of us wish to give it credit for. We need, we all need at least six hours of sleep. Under seven can be detrimental. Seven to nine is kind of based off of the individual. Younger people, um, babies, toddlers, kids, and teens, need closer to the 8 or 9, even 10. And I would put athletes or really high-performing physical people upwards of that 9 or 10 as well. We try to have our elite athletes sleep 9 or 10 hours a night.
0: What have you seen with your own eyes? Have there been any scenarios where you've had an elite performer that for whatever reason has been lacking in their sleep and then you've seen it in their performance?
1: Yeah, I mean, the number one thing you see is their moodiness. (laughs) That's the uh, the number one thing. Um, but yeah, so somebody that's underslept is under recovered, and somebody that's under recovered can't perform. So it's a, it's also like we have to be kind of like uh, you know radical acceptance. Like there's parts, of, there's times in our lives that this is going to be reality, and we don't need to get all worried about it. We don't need to get all like jammed up about oh my gosh, I, I slept one hour or less last night. That's not a big deal in the long term of things. It's the chronic. It's when it's the norm. And for people that do shift work, like your community, um, it's horrifically detrimental. There's no other way around it. Like we are, um, we are set up. Our our species is set up to be awake with the circadian rhythm, to be awake when it's light and to be asleep when it's dark. And not doing that takes a massive toll on us as human beings from a cognitive, from an emotional, and a physiological standpoint.
0: So we have a community that has to be awake during the night. Someone's obviously got to respond, um, which is, you know, there's no way around that. like you said. At the moment, the, the standard is what's called a 24-48. So 24 hours without sleep there's a 48 period, and we'll label it, you know, in, in so many erroneous ways but and then you're right back at it again that's a 56 hour work week what i'm trying to push as an industry standard is is an extra 24 hours in between so that would be 2472, which would still be a 42 hour work week so still you know the same if not a little more than most people work but these men and women are awake every this would be fourth day now by putting more rest and recovery through your lens that you have, giving them an extra 24 hours, what impact do you think that would have on on their acuity and their their um, wellness as far as longevity? I
1: I don't know the answer to that. Um, my suggestion for for shift workers is to try to create consistency because really it's the, the the one is the. Um, the lack of alignment with our circadian rhythm. But the other one is just the, the your body's always trying to everything from digestion to um, you know hormone um, release and suppressions. Everything is kind of tied with this, when should I be awake and when should I be falling asleep? From when cortisol happens to when uh, dopamine to adenosine to um, uh, epinephrine, All of these different hormones are trying to create balance, health inside of you. When you're not aligned with that, you're out of health. So the best thing that we can do is try to at least create as much consistency as we can. So the worst to me, which actually I think is actually more of a norm than than not, is where you have your um, 48 on, 72 off, or 24 on, 48 hours off. And you do that for a week and the next week something different and the next week is something different and the next, that's actually the most detrimental. If you are able to find a norm of what your shift work is, you, you can try to do some hacks, early morning sunlight, um, late evening sunlight as well, early morning activity, early morning food. You know, there's a big thing about intermittent fasting, but for shift workers, I don't suggest that at all. They should be eating when they get up so their body gets used to like, oh, this is morning time. Um, But my suggestion, I don't know enough about like, you know, with the extra half hour, I mean the extra day here or there, what would move the needle the most there. But my suggestion would be try to create as much regularity as you can. Yeah.
0: No, i appreciate that i think an extra 24 hours between we just give them that's another entire night's sleep not being in a fire station so i think
1: okay how could it not help exactly
0: that's that's the thing it's almost like no research is needed if you think about it yes all right well then i want one more area and then i want to get to the books and comp train and some of the things that you've got to offer people listening I've seen some incredible stories of people who were suffering mentally that found themselves in CrossFit gyms whether it was addiction whether it was depression etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's not really a topic that you hear a lot in these conversations. You've, you know, you got your main gym and then other gyms that you're affiliated with as well. Um are there any stories of how that community, you know, p- turned someone around that you kind of got to witness that transition yourself?
1: Yeah, we have people in in um, my own gym that have struggled with addiction or struggled uh, mentally. Um, that have found um, this train. <laughs> it sounds so funny, but trying found this way of working out with other people, and completely transformed their lives. Um, there is an incredible organization that was founded out of Boston um, called the Phoenix, and it's for people that deal with substance abuse, and they can go to this CrossFit gym as long as they are. Uh, have been sober for 24 hours. That's the only. That's the only prerequisite, and the amount of success that they've had is incredible. It's, I mean, changing lives. I've also um, had um, the experience of working with um, people that have started CrossFit gyms inside of maximum security prisons. I've been uh, mentoring um, um, this group uh, in Colorado. I've uh, been talking with them for about three years. Um, we're going out to visit them in a few months. And um, it's a similar type of thing where these people that have uh, very little purpose in their lives find a purpose. And what's amazing is they've had thousands of inmates go through this program. And I mean this program, I don't mean like go for a workout, like they're part of this community. And in a maximum security prison, which is essentially a place that you put some of the most troubled people in the world, um, in the years that they've been in existence, there has never once been an incident. Never incidents of abuse or violence or verbal or theft or anything. It's like there's something about this community that pulls people into... Being the best versions of themselves, so it's it's incredible
0: it's amazing, yeah, the number of people I had on the show of all walks of life and their stories more often than not there's a significant element of childhood trauma their you know mentors become people who you know are going to send them down the wrong path, and I always argue this this you know concept. of humans are blank canvases when they're born. Yes, there might be some Mm -hmm. that have got neurochemical issues where they are, you know, sociopaths or whatever. But so you have the potential for that to be an incredible human being. And even if you've strayed off the path, a mentor can come in, whether it's addiction, whether it's being part of a gang or, God forbid, even you know, murder, you, you can still rehabilitate. And I had a prison governor from one of the Norwegian prisons on a couple of times. And their model is, their prison is, you know, and these, there's some murderers and some, you know, some high-level crimes in there, but they live in houses and they go to school and they, they go to work wow. and they have to cook and clean and their recidivism rate is a fraction of ours here. But again, wow. if you look at it, it's community. You're all part of this team. And if you don't cook or clean, then the house is a pigsty or no one eats or whatever. So there are consequences for your actions versus locking someone in a cage but also doing everything for them and separating them from everyone else so that's amazing to hear how well crossfit's working in that that situation that's a
1: that's a cool what was the country there that's
0: norway it's oslo the oslo the uh, bastoy prison there's one other one i forget but they've got the same model but
1: yeah i feel like the scandinavian countries have something going on they all seem to there's a lot of cool things going on there
0: well with that i mean obviously you've got icelandic um athletes in your camp When you go over there, were there any things that struck you as far as society that you thought, "Huh, that would be a a pretty interesting thing to bring back to the states"?
1: They're, uh, for rightfully so, they're incredibly proud of their country. It's a beautiful country. Um, They don't see the sun a whole lot, but or or and then the opposite, they don't see nighttime a whole lot. Um, I would say that the, the just the norm is active. Like everyone there is active in some sense. And I think that that's the abnorm here. Like if you're an adult and you're active, it's like the, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a strange, weird thing. Um, but it's such a small country. It's only 300,000 people. It's the size of, um, you know, a a big town in, in the United States. Um, but it's just, it's a... Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to Iceland? I
0: haven't yet. No, I do want to go because I want to. I want to actually get. I've got a sister in law who's Swedish. I want to go visit Tom in Norway. So I think I'm going to do a yeah. Scandinavian tour at some point in the next few years.
1: Uh, it's it's super. It's it's. I think it's so worthwhile going. It's a. It's beautiful. It's kind of a combination of like Alaska and Hawaii. It's like this volcanic, but cold, and these um, springs and these waterfalls, but also really good um, culture and cities and it's it's incredible beautiful
0: well i'm sure people listening you know are are intrigued by all the different things that we've talked about you've got a podcast you've got books so let's start with the books tell people the, the books that you have out there and just an overview of what they have to offer
1: uh so first book i wrote is called chasing excellence it's a story of um kind of my my, my training the male and female crossfit champions um i trained th- one year 2016 trained both of them Catherine david Zodder and matt fraser it's kind of the 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 traits um and the the ways that they rose to become the best of the best it's a lot of the stuff that i learned from them more than what they learned from me um the second book is called unlocking potential and i've been lucky enough to to run a few businesses and it's um, they're kind of small potatoes compared to a lot of what you know what's out there on social media right now. but um I've learned it's kind of my my learnings uh, my growth as an entrepreneur and a leader. Uh, I was re- really poor at both in my early days, and I feel like I'm probably halfway through my journey as as a leader and entrepreneur, so it's kind of like uh, my reflection to the halfway point <laughs> um. I hope that I, I can write another one in another decade or so, kind of sharing the, the second half of this journey. But um, I didn't want to wait for that. I want to share what, what, uh, what I, my, my takeaways have been up until now.
0: Now, how have you balanced that coach versus box owner um, you know, equation? Because I've, I think old school CrossFit, a lot of it was you're either one or the other. You can't be both. But clearly, you've managed to navigate that space.
1: Yeah, well I i early on I navigated it really well by having really good people around me. Um I was able to um, well early, early on, I wasn't married and didn't have kids. That's how I navigated it. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a lot of time. So I could be the I could be the boss, um, the leader, the business owner, and a coach. But the the, the truth of that is I wasn't a very good business owner or leader then. I was putting a lot into coaching and I was just kind of allowing the success of being a good coach influenced the business. Um, that kind of led up for the, the first, uh, probably five or six years of doing this. Um, then I started really coaching the elite athletes and doing well at the CrossFit games that led to a different form of, uh, opportunities. Um, and it forced because it led to such opportunities, it led me to where I really had to learn the other stuff. It wasn't just about being a coach, it was about being a leader and an entrepreneur. And that's where I am now is um, I'm running a business. I'm not doing as much of the elite coaching as I was then um, and running a business, trying to bring the lessons we've learned through these high-performing athletes and through this world-class fitness endeavor to to the hard chargers in the community you're like your community um i think there's so much that could be used to help people not just going to the crossfit games that people want to be you know supremely ready for anything
0: so well, speaking of that so you have you know all that information out you have the app so talk to me about comp train and how people can access that
1: Yep. So, uh, comp train, it's an app. So you access it on the, the, the app store, um, Google or Android and it's, um, it's daily training. We are coming out with, um, our new, so it's up until this point, it's been essentially daily training, a little bit of mindset stuff. So we give people, um, training up until this point, it's been a lot of training for the sport of CrossFit because that's what we did. It was how to get better at the opens, quarters, get through semifinals, hopefully qualify and win the games. We're, we're pivoting that to help um, more people train like us because we believe that what, this training, met- training methodology is so powerful. So it's um, it allows people to choose whether they want to train for um, a half hour, an hour, two hours, or three hours. So how much time do you have? The training will automatically adjust to that. And then it has a a part of a big community. You, You can communicate with people all over the world, the thousands and thousands of people that are doing this. You can compare your scores on a leaderboard with thousands and thousands of people. You can create your own little groups of communities inside of that. Both on a message board and leaderboard. There's a chance for you to take dives into further knowledge. So if you want to learn more about nutrition, more about training, more about mindset, there's a comp train university that you have an aff- opportunity to take a deeper dive into all of the material that we have. Um, you can find other gyms that do comp train. There's hundreds and hundreds of gyms around the world that do comp train. So you can do these in real life. And then there's an a, a, a interactive mindset component to this as well, where there's media, where I'm talking to you on a daily basis about the approach that you can think about today in your mindset.
0: Brilliant. And then the podcast.
1: Uh, podcast is Chasing Excellence, and uh, talk about everything from um, how to live a more fulfilling, purpose, passionate life. Um, and that's really the, that's really at the that's at the core of what I believe my purpose is is to help other people live a more meaningful, um, passion filled, purpose driven life. So it talks about everything from um, health because obviously health is a, a huge component of that. It's hard to live a really joyful, uh, fulfilled life if you're in pain. Um, so it's about health. But it's also about uh, establishing, finding, establishing your values, your principles, um, owning your time and attention, little dibbles of, um, you know, being a parent, relationships, entrepreneurship, um, work-life balance and the rest.
0: Brilliant. Well, I would love to throw some quick closing questions at you if you've got time.
1: Please, let's do it, James. All
0: right. So we talked about your books. Are there any other books? Um, you mentioned Stephen Pressfield, Gates of Fire. Are there any other ones that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion or completely unrelated.
1: Oh, boy. I'm a, hu- I'm a huge book guy. Um, give me a category. Let's do it that way and I'll give you a book.
0: Um, let's talk about the, the physical and or mental toughness element that we discussed earlier.
1: Um, okay. So I think that it's, it's, a, it's a crappy title, but it's a great book. Um, the inner game of tennis. So it's written by a coach that talks he's basically like, hey, this whole thing is the inner game. It's about the mental game. And it's uh it's brilliant. Um it's done through the prism of uh tennis, but it's applicable to anything. You don't need to know anything about tennis to appreciate it.
0: Brilliant. All right, what about a video skip video, excuse me, a movie and or documentary that you love?
1: Uh I, um, well, I'll give, I'll give, uh, one in terms of like entrepreneurship. Um, it's seven days out. It's a, it's a, it's a Netflix documentary series and it's particularly one episode called it's 11 Madison park. It's basically the reopening of the best restaurant in the world. And it's, it follows them for seven days before the re grand opening. And in terms of people that are interested in the pursuit of excellence, it's the best representation of that the next closest one i've seen in terms of the pursuit of excellence is uh, a documentary called hero dreams of sushi which might be a little more familiar to a lot of people that's a little more popular
0: absolutely yeah i've heard of that one there's another one i forget it was called, but it was on ramen but it was the same kind of thing it was Mm. crazy but when you see what goes into the ramen, it probably turn you off. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well then the next question, is there a person you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I would, um, a friend of mine, um, Chris Irwin. So Chris Irwin, uh, was a really, uh, he's going to, he's going to not like that. I'm saying this, but, um, he was uh, the highest level that you can become as a Navy SEAL. Um, you would never, ever, ever know it because he would never, ever tell it. But he's now working, um, helping people transition from the mental aspects, um, from this really purpose-driven life of being uh, in, the, in the military to back to civilian life. And he's got a really good grasp of, um, of the mental tools and approaches
0: brilliant well i'd love to connect with him if you're able to help me
1: i I could do that thank you so much
0: all right well then the very last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you online what do you do to decompress
1: oh uh i hang with my family um that's i'm i'm a family guy first that's uh i love it i I say it so much now that my kids say it they're like family first it's like it's it's our it's our motto for everything. it truly is. I'm a big believer in rank ordering things because it makes decisions in in peacetime so you don't have to make them in wartime. And what I mean by that is if you know that family comes first and it's not just a saying, well, when you're up against it, you know which one to to actually go with. So it's a simple thing like um, kids, soccer game tonight, but – the podcast that I've wanted to be on forever says that I can do it, but it's going to run 30 minutes into my kids' soccer practice. And I don't even coach. I just want to be there to watch it. Well, I know ahead of time that the answer to that is no, because it's family first. It's so much easier to make decisions ahead of time than it is because, again, the lower you, the one that wants to be a pleasure, you go, oh, yes, I can do that. It's always going to say I can do it and make excuses for the short-term thing. But that's not in line with the long-term. So, um, yeah, so, so, so I decompress by hanging with my family, whether that's in the summer, we spend a lot of time on the water at the beach, um, boats, um, sailing motorboats, uh, playing in the sand. Um, and then in the winters, we go into the mountains and we go skiing. Um, you know, a lot of, I have two little kids and two bigger kids. The bigger kids are grown up and they're um, there it's a lot of talk about life stuff, like real life stuff, jobs, careers, relationships, um, purpose and passion. And then the younger kids, it's about, uh, um, snuggling underneath a blanket, you know, just like getting, you know, sitting in front of a fire, watching a football game, um, you know, helping them study for the, the learning the States and the capitals and, um, you know, trying to get them to brush their teeth and go to bed
0: on time. Well, speaking of kids, I took mine to, mine's now 15. It's funny. You mentioned the five minute mile. He's chasing that at the moment. He's on the school track and cross country team. So he's, uh, I think he was like 529 at the moment, but that was the first race of the season and he was sick that day. So I think he's got a chance this year. Um, But I took him to uh, Sandlot Jacks Jason Emily McCarthy's amazing fitness festival that I feel really was a fantastic kick up the ass to get us out of the pandemic and back to chasing this wellness thing and, and you know, being part of this paradigm shift. You were there, you spoke at their uh, their speaker series as well. What was your experience of that event?
1: Uh, I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. It was kind of, kind of like a, a true fitness festival. Um, it wasn't centered around necessarily a competition like most of the ones that I go to are. We don't really have um, trade shows in our in our space, so it kind of acted sort of like as a, a trade show, a place for people to come and um, um, just gather with people with shared values, but also across the whole spectrum, right? There was obstacle horse racing, there was martial arts, there was CrossFit, there was a whole bunch of people from all different walks of life, but we all had this shared kind of thing of like um, work hard, move, camaraderie, community. Um, and I was really blown away by the, um, by how many different, um, what's the right word, partners, sponsors, vendors were there. I mean, it was, it was, um, it was crazy how many different, uh, companies had showed up to, to, to show support. Yeah, it was incredible. What was your take? What, what was your take of
0: it? Um, it was the same. Sadly, I'm I'm only going to go I think one day of the two this year um, because <laughs> there's a rock concert in Orlando that I already promised my son to take him to. Um, but I just thought it was what's a
1: what's a rock concert? What's uh what's the band? It's
0: called Earth Day Birthday. It's in Orlando, and there's a few bands, but Falling in Reverse is uh, both of our one of our favorite bands. So oh. yeah, very very cool um but no it was it was incredible i mean he he did the savage race course and i went with him i think we did it 10 times or something so my hands were just shredded at the end of it but you know we did the jujitsu seminar with tim kennedy and i mean it was just you could pick and choose whatever you want you want to do a go rock star course and and rock for four hours you could do that or you know you could do the marine pull-up challenge it was it was just such a great way like i said to me to Circle the wagons of everyone who really understood the wellness element and then, you know, inspire each other, grow off that energy, and then s- kind of put the, the pandemic behind us and start pushing the wellness yeah. side again.
1: Yeah. It's cool.
0: It was amazing. All right. Well, then for people listening, uh, we mentioned about Comtrain being an app. Where else can they find you online?
1: Oh, unfortunately, probably Instagram. Um i don't like to i don't even use instagram that much i'm trying to limit it as much as possible but that's probably the the easiest place it's ben Bergeron um and then uh yeah comtra comtrain dot com um would be the other place
0: brilliant well ben i want to thank you so much um it's it's always you know an amazing conversation that goes in all these different rabbit holes and try not to talk about crossfit specifically because i know that you talk about that a lot but what we've managed to pull away is so invaluable to the people listening so i want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time today
1: i appreciate it thanks james